Welcome back, everybody. We are in the midst of season two of the Uniquely Better Life podcast. This is episode three, Dating and Romance in Recovery. I'm your host, Chase Cotton, the community director here at the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana. And it is my pleasure to have with me my friend Stephanie, who will be sharing about some of her thoughts on this particular topic. Uh, Before we do that, uh, let's do some intro music and then we'll get started. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you so much for being here, for being willing to share. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Stephanie. Um, I've been coming to the Willow Center for about two years. I've been sober for five and a half. That's incredible. Congratulations. Yeah, it's been a struggle, but I've been managing okay. Relationships have always been a struggle for me in and out of sobriety, Um, more so in sobriety because I tend to care more now that I'm sober than Mm. I did when I was using drugs so tell me more about that what what do you mean the difference in care so using drugs my main focus was you know dating the drug dealer Mm. because by dating him I had a way to get my drugs so of course you know dating the drug dealer he has other people so I was also dating other people I really didn't care how he felt about anything as long as I was continuing to get my drugs Mm. um now that I'm sober relationships are completely different for me um I care more about where it's going if my partner's sober just there's a lot more into it being sober than being non-sober like you have a future you have goals that you want to obtain in life now right and being able to have a relationship and still maintain those goals and have common interests and have common goals as well Mm -hmm. is a huge thing for me so being sober and in a relationship has been a complete different outlook on life for me I guess you would say yeah um and I've learned a lot about myself being in relationships sober and what I will and will not tolerate and I'm Mm. willing to actually place boundaries on things and continue with them boundaries than before when I just let people walk all over me and you know took a lot from people that I shouldn't have taken sure so I, I hear you saying that you have new boundaries that you've set and, and I feel like that, that says a lot, especially to the growth that you've experienced as a person, um, including this aspect of, of caring more about yourself. So can you tell me a little bit about those particular boundaries? Um, you know, what boundaries do you have now, especially as they relate to caring for yourself in a relationship that you didn't have uh, or, or that, you know, the, the negative effects of, of drug or alcohol affected those boundaries? Tell me about those differences for you. So now... In my, you know, relationships, sobriety is number one to me. So you have to be sober. You have to, and it's hard to find somebody in a relationship, especially when you've been down the addiction path, um, that understands what you're going through. Mm -hmm. So to me, I do date other addicts because it's easier for them to understand what I'm going through and what I've been through. So 
them maintaining and to be clear their... like you mean like you date other people who are in long-term recovery yes, specifically yes, yes got it so that they understand what i'm going through and them maintaining their sobriety is a must for me like if you're not willing to put forth the effort that i'm putting forth in my sobriety probably not going to take it very further with you because that's extremely important to me yeah um the way that i'm talked to now um i don't take a lot of bullshit yeah. that i used to take uh-huh. maintaining a job and a you know going somewhere in your life is a complete must for me um if you're not willing to have a job and actually go somewhere with your life then we're not going to get very far in life at all so right. i you know that's a complete must for me like the whole cheating thing like i used to let guys cheat on me and walk mm. on me it, no not happening anymore like Good if i you. even think that that's where this is going we're just going to end it now because there's no point in taking it further. Yeah. Um, I just put a lot of, I have a lot more self-respect mm. than I used to have. So mm-hmm. I don't tolerate half the stuff that I used to tolerate in my relationships. Like you're not going to talk to me like I'm somebody that I'm not. You know what I mean? You're right. going to have respect for me because I have respect for myself. Yeah. I love that. That is so powerful, Stephanie. You're going to respect me. Because I have respect for myself. I think that that piece is um, in particular important to remember because I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like one of the lessons you have to learn earliest in recovery is how to respect yourself again. Yes. So then finding someone who is going to respect you in turn is just tremendously important. So some of the things that you experienced when still in active addiction and in relationships um, what were some of those red flags? Like I've I've heard you say disrespecting you, like via like how they talk to you. I've heard you say like, you know, g- getting walked on. Like, what other red flags are there to watch out for in in relationships, especially now that you've seen the worst of the worst when you're in active addiction? So lies, you know, even mm. if they're just little lies, if they start out little, they're eventually going to get big. Yeah, honesty is a complete must. I don't care if it's. You know, something as simple as, hey, this person called me today. I feel like you need to tell me, you know, somebody that's going to be a threat to a relationship called you. I need to know that. You know what I mean? That transparency aspect. Yes. So complete honesty. If you're willing to lie to me about anything, then I don't even want to have this conversation anymore with you because it's going to continue to roll into a bunch of lies. Mm. So that is a huge red flag for me. Like, I don't want to be lied to. I want complete honesty from somebody. How they're spending their time. You know, are they spending their time just going and hanging out with their friends? Which is fine. I'm not saying that's not okay. But is that all they're doing with their time? You mm. know what I mean? Like are they I, investing in you at all? Yes. Yeah. That's, you know, something that I look out for. Um, their family. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? How connected are they to their family? Because to me, somebody that's not extremely connected to their family, I look at it, and I could be wrong, you know what I mean? I call myself wrong in a lot of things, but there's a reason why you're not connected to your family. Yeah. And I need to know that reason, because if it has something to do with, okay, you burned some bridges and you're not willing to make them right, uh, what are you not going to make right if something goes wrong with me and you? You know what I mean? And family is a huge thing for me. So I have mm-hmm. to have somebody that's connected with their family as well. That's so important. It's extremely important. Did you ever experience um, like any levels of codependency with folks who you used to date? 
Oh, absolutely. How would you describe that experience? Because I feel like sometimes in the midst of it, you don't really know it's happening until it's like way far down the road. So tell me about that. What's that like? So I relied, I was codependent on guys to do everything for me. Um, (laughs) As far as I can't get a ride, well, you're going to find me a ride as far as, you know. But the worst codependency for me was, I depended on them to make me feel good about myself. Mm, you know, that's if a big one. they weren't doing something right, if they weren't treating me right, I, I didn't think that it was a problem with them. It was, it's me. What am I doing wrong? What do I need to fix? All right, I'm going to pause for just a moment for my interview with Stephanie, and I've got my colleague Gina here to dive into this topic of codependency a little more specifically because it's really important, and I want the listeners to have an expert opinion on it. So, Gina, would you be so kind as to tell us what is codependency? The simplest way that I can explain codependency is just telling you the six characteristics of codependency. Okay. The first one is people-pleasing. The second one is caretaking. Caretaking, okay. Third one is enabling. Enabling. Fourth is rescuing. Rescuing. Five is controlling. Controlling. And six is the victim mentality. Victim mentality. Okay, could you give us those like brief descriptions of each of those? Um, people pleasing is being a yes person despite it being inconvenient for you. So yes, I'll do this. Yes, I'll do that. Um, Whatever it is that you want. Sure, I'll go ahead and do that. Mm. Second one is caretaking, taking care of other people when they can take care of themselves. Uh, Third is enabling. Uh, Typically, it's enabling, enabling bad behavior. For example, um, going out and buying a person's cigarettes or alcohol when they don't even drink or smoke yeah. or buying drugs for them yeah. um, or giving them money for their bills or gas money. And in mm. fact, they spend it on drugs or alcohol. Right. Fourth is rescuing and rescuing people from the situations that they get themselves into. And the example I like to use is uh, you get yourself into jail. You need to get yourself out of jail. Interesting. Okay. Uh, fifth is control and controlling other people. For example, uh, did you brush your teeth today? Uh, did you go to your meeting today? What time did you get home? Did you go to work today? What time did you get off work Jeez, today? Yeah. And then the fi- the sixth is the victim mentality. And the victim is all about uh, how you done me wrong. Mm. And the thing that they all have in common is the focus is on other people. Mm-hmm. So, quote, you, quote, trying to control other people, uh, trying to enable and rescue other people. So the focus is not on themselves, mm-hmm. which is self-care, the focus is on other people and trying to fix, manage, and control other people. That's fascinating. So how do folks get themselves into codependent relationships? Like what causes codependency in your opinion? There's mostly is just growing up in a dysfunctional family, you know, mm-hmm. whether or not there's substance abuse in the family, sometimes it's modeled by the parents. Sure. Uh, but a lot of times uh, the children 
become codependent because they grew up in a family that's out of control. Mm. And several things can happen. They themselves can be substance abusers, or lots of times they become codependent because they feel like they need in order to build their own self-esteem, they need to be there for other people in caretaking other people. That's interesting. So finding our own identity in either what we can get from or provide to other people. Exactly. Yeah, right. That's important. So how do you solve codependency? Well, the solution to codependency is boundaries. Learning how to set boundaries and always the boundaries need to be about self-care. So it's the opposite with codependency. The focus with codependency is on you, other people. The boundaries are about me and learning how I need to take care of me. And they say no is a complete sentence as opposed to yes with people pleasing. Right. Uh, learning how to say no, learning how to set limits, learning how to set boundaries to take care of myself, not you. Mm. That's really important. So is it possible if I've been in a relationship with someone that has become codependent, maybe bi-directionally, is it possible to stay in a relationship with that person or is it gonna be healthiest for me to just start over? Healthiest is the word. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Um, there's a lot of people that do stay in relationships where there is codependency. The ones who are attempting to get healthy go to a 12-step group called Al-Anon, okay. where they teach people about how to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the, the decision to stay in the relationship is based on a couple of things. Number one is if they're getting some help for their own codependency and setting limits with their significant others sure. uh, and are able to do that so that they feel safe and comfortable, then a lot of times they'll stay in that relationship. Mm -hmm. But the opposite is also true. A lot of times they may also leave because they still can't fix, manage, and control that person. However, if they, that codependent person doesn't get help for themselves, there's a very good chance they're going to find somebody else that they can fix, manage, and control. So that self-work really has to happen before setting up a new relationship. Otherwise, some of those old patterns might just fall back into place, but with different parties at play. Exactly. The problem with codependency is us. Mm -hmm. And we have to be able to recognize that this is our problem. We have to manage our own problem. We have to take responsibility and uh, learn how to be able to set those limits and those boundaries within ourselves mm -hmm. and then with other people as well. I've never heard about setting boundaries within myself before. That's a really interesting concept to me. Can you uh, explore that just a little bit more for the listener? Setting boundaries within yourself. Is that like a boundary you set for yourself with others or for yourself with yourself? Yes. <laughs> Fair. A boundary uh, within myself is that, uh, you know what, uh, I'm not going to stay up and wait all night. I'm just going to go to bed because I mm. need my rest for today I got a f or tomorrow I have a full day. Yeah. And so I really need to set those boundaries with myself because that's part of self-care. Mm. I have to set boundaries with my uh, the way I speak to people. Mm-hmm. 
you know, because if I'm in there trying to fix manage control, you know, I'm going to be talking to people that's in a demand, demanding manner. And a lot of that is none of my business, what other people do. Sure. And so back to the focus on myself instead of focusing on other people and what they're doing or not doing. Yeah, that's great. Well, Gina, thank you so much for sharing and, and giving us some of your expertise on this. Let's go ahead and get back into our interview with Stephanie. They weren't doing something right. If they weren't treating me right, I, I didn't think that it was a problem with them. It was, it's me. What am I doing wrong? What do I need to fix? Am I not pretty enough? Am I not skinny enough? Am oh, I not yeah. doing it right in the bedroom? You know what I mean? It just a whole bunch of things just spiral from that. Yeah. And then in turn, you know, I would go and use more because you're making me feel some type of way. So I'm going to go use. Um, so that's, you know, codependency is just there's so many different forms and so many different faces of it. Mm-hmm. And for everybody, it's different. But I relied on the guys that I was with for absolutely everything. Yeah. And if they weren't, you know, supplying my needs, it wasn't my, it wasn't their fault. It was my fault, you mm. know? And that's just a horrible thing to think sometimes it's, it will make you spiral down so fast. Yeah. And to get a grasp on that was hard for me. You know sure. what I mean? To realize, okay, it's not always you. Sometimes it's them. Right. Um, was hard for me to realize and accept. I mean, t- hearing that it's like sort of tied up with your self-worth. I feel yeah. like that is so impactful because, I mean, we humans can find a million and one reasons to dislike ourselves, right? I yeah, think it more. comes more natively to some of us than others. But in particular, you know, when, when there are substances involved, that, that codependency aspect, when you're trying to find your worth in somebody else and then they mistreat you, I mean, oh, that is rough. That is it's, so rough. Yeah. It makes you feel like am I ever going to be good enough? You yeah. know? And then, like I said, you just spiral down further. Right. And it triggers the use and so on. So you hinted at, um, you know, the, the bedroom being an aspect that was tied to your self-worth too. And some of those codependent relationships, how do you feel like, I mean, if we're just being brutally honest, but you know, like keeping a PG for the kiddos who might listen, how did, did drug or alcohol use affect sex? Like what was like, yeah, just wherever you want to take that. I did a lot of things in my addiction that involved sexual activities. Yeah. Um, so I was very, I don't know, like I was very open in my sexual activities and mm-hmm. my sexual, you know, things. And it really affected me horribly. I'm you sorry. know, um, I felt like sex was the only way to get somebody Mm. if I wasn't giving them that then they weren't going to want me yeah that completely obliterated my self-worth yeah I mean I can only imagine you know I led to prostitution and the things that that does to you not only to you know your body but to your mental to your your heart period is some of the worst feelings I've ever felt in my life. That's dark. Yeah. And coming back from that now that, you know, I am in my sobriety and I, you know, I haven't done that for over five years. I am more picky about sexual things. Like Mm -hmm. 
it's not something that I just jump into easily anymore. Um, right. I make sure that this is really what I want mm-hmm. because I tend to have sex with somebody and then, Oh, I love you. I want to be with you forever. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, Type friends thing. with benefits thing <laughs> yeah. is total hogwash. It's such a huge myth that it's, I think persists both in, um, you know, in the recovery community and in those relationships that are still affected by substances, like thinking you can be intimate with someone in that way without catching feelings is ridiculous. It's like, not it's happening. It's not possible. It's yeah. not. Feelings come no matter what. Yeah. And so, you know, I try to just really, I'm really, I respect my body more now. So yeah. I'm not just giving it out like I used to. Right. And, you know, I'm not going to say that I've been perfect since I've been sober because I've definitely, you know, tried to have a one night thing and, the way that it made me feel afterwards. Um, Just brought out some of those old feelings. Yes, and yeah. it definitely gave, it brought back some cravings to wanting to use, you sure. know? And yeah. when I first, you know, became sober, like I said, I've been sober for five years. I didn't really have cravings horribly bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me a long time to realize that my cravings came with my actions. Mm-hmm. You know, if I did a certain thing, then I would want to get high. If I acted a certain way, then I would want to get high. Yeah. So I had to identify those things. And most of them were, you know, sexual things or relationship things that would trigger that. That's interesting. So I would have to identify that and then have to be like, okay, you can't do this. You know what yeah. I mean? Like this is Setting putting you back. Again. Yes. Yeah, for your own health. Yeah. Like it's putting you back in your old mindset. It's putting you back in your old ways. You can't act like this anymore. Right. Um, and it's a big eye opener to just identify things that you didn't realize were a problem before. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you might have thought, but then actually sitting back and looking at it, you're like, wow, like this is starting to make sense on why I went the way that I went, why I used as much as I used. Sure. Um, it's just a complete mind boggle sometimes, you know what I mean? To just understand things. Like I said, and don't ever think that, you know, just because you have five years, 10 years, 15 years sobriety that you're not going to find things out about yourself that is a trigger or that this is, could be why, because just the other day I, you know, made a mistake and had a huge craving to use. And I'm like, okay, this is why I'm feeling this way. You know what I mean? We're not going to do this anymore. Right. Um, so you're constantly learning things about yourself, regardless if it's in relationships with your significant other a Mm -hmm. family member your children like you're constantly learning things that are going to trigger you and make you want to go use but it's also helping you learn to be a better you right to do things a different way and it's just it's eye-opening and it's just so exhilarating yeah you know what I mean that's amazing I, I so admire your honesty and I'm thankful that you know you're willing to share some of this wisdom that you've gained um I think what I love most about you know, the pieces of your story you've shared with us today are, are, are that they're, they're not necessarily the obvious pieces that someone might expect when listening to a podcast on this particular topic, right? I feel like if I was a listener, I would imagine that I would hear, oh, well, the way drugs and alcohol are going to affect my sex life. Well, there's probably going to be moments that I don't remember. There's probably going to be, you know, this or that regret or whatever. But the way you've explained it is, is as being much more tied to your self-worth and to these 
you know, very respectable, healthy boundaries you've learned to set and learning about yourself and growing to love more about yourself and your body. I think that's really beautiful. I really do. Like, I think, I mean, I hope the listeners would agree with me that that, that is a welcomed surprise because I think it's much more, uh, it's much more meaningful than sometimes even the entirety of sort of Western American culture makes sex right. and makes romance. Sometimes it's even think about like shows like like the bachelor bachelorette series where it's like it's almost like a commodity sometimes um which is is just as degrading as as you know um some of the things we think about ourselves uh under under the effect of substances so so thank you is what i'm trying to say you're welcome thank you for your honesty and for your wisdom that's really powerful what what do you think uh is i guess maybe your favorite part about dating in recovery like what's what's yeah the, the thing that makes you the honesty okay yeah. tell me more being able to be completely honest with somebody because before you know i would lie about everything where i was going who was texting my like don't even touch my phone mm-hmm. if i yeah. was you know in my addiction don't even think you're gonna touch my phone because you're definitely gonna find something there you're not gonna like right um now i'm just like with the, I'm currently in a relationship um, with my fiance. I'm completely honest. Congratulations about, on the engagement, by the way. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm completely honest with him about everything. Yeah. Like everything. He knows about my past and accepts it. And that was something that I was completely terrified about. Yeah. Um, He, you know, like if somebody, if one of my exes texts my phone, Hey, this person texted me today. I'm just letting you know. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not something that I have to tell him because he's probably not going to know. He doesn't go through my phone. But I feel like it's something that I need to tell him. It's a mutual you respect know? thing. Yeah, yeah, to keep things honest between us. So that's definitely different for me. Um, the sex aspect is different because it's more meaningful. Right. You know, the fact that I made, we didn't wait too long, but we waited and it was just so much more meaningful. And the fact that I feel like he accepts me even without that, you know what I mean? Like we don't have to have it and we still have that connection. We still have that communication. Um, now that sex aspect is no longer tied to your identity as being lovable. Yes. Right. It's just a part of your healthy relationship. Yeah. And it's a cool transition, huge transition for me. So there's just being in a relationship sober, I was terrified of it, yeah. you know, especially when I first got out, it was just like, Oh, how am I going to do this? Yeah. What, what, tell me more about that fear. Like, like what are some of the specific fears that came up for you? Cause I imagine like, like, you know, you are fundamentally different after yeah. having chosen a life of recovery and trying to work through those, those progresses. Um, like what, what pieces made you nervous? Cause I, I imagine feeling like, like I'm in middle school again or something. Yeah. Like, oh God, are they going to like me? Yeah. Like <laughs> just, you know, wondering, is somebody going to accept me for me and my past right. and for the person that I am without substances, you know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. I know the person that I was then to the person that I am now is completely different. different people. Yeah. You know, like I'm funny. I'm goofy. I don't always make sense. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> I'm crazy sometimes. Like there's a whole, you know, layers of me. And before nobody got all them layers, you right. know what I mean? They got the drug addict. That's yeah, all they you, got. They clouded those up with the substances. Yeah. So, okay. Are they going to accept all this? Plus I gained a lot of weight. Uh, nobody <laughs> talks about that in recovery. <laughs> nobody talks about it. 
It's like, oh, I stopped drinking and then gained weight? Like, wait, what? Like, everybody thinks you're going to get, like, all fit and skinny. And it's just no. like, y'all didn't realize what was happening to your nutrition. That's actually one of our topics later this season. We're going to be talking a little bit about that. So, anyways. God, I gained so much weight. And I'm like, oh, do people even like thick girls nowadays? <laughs> but I've come to find out they do. Um, and things aren't so, like, on the surface. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I thought you know, being in an addiction, like the addiction world is completely different than the sober world. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in the addiction world, like looks is a factor, you know what I mean? Um, and the sobriety world, when you're dating a man, that's actually a man, let's say, um, and has some morals and respect for himself. Right. That's not what they're looking for. They're not looking for a Barbie doll girl. Like if they get one great, but they're actually looking for a person, yeah. you know, somebody that has layers to someone them. they can partner with. Yes. And yeah. it's just like, that was surprising to me. Like when they were like, I don't care about your looks. I don't care about your weight. What, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, that's all p people ever cared about. So that was completely mm. shocking to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that there are men out there that aren't so shallow, so to speak, because sure. I was definitely shallow, Yeah, you know? So it was just like, okay, like this is happening. Um, what were those first, if you don't mind me la asking, what were those first few dates like? Like I'm talking like first three months of being sober. Like what, what were those first few dates like? Well, so the first guy I dated being sober, um, he had never been an addict. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of uh, for me, you know. But we didn't really go on dates considering, you know, my – current situation we worked sure. together but it was um interesting mm -hmm. getting to know somebody outside of drinking or getting high um it was goofy yeah you know what i mean like it you was to have fun together that yeah didn't require substances yeah, yeah it was fun and it was goofy and it was um a lot of honesty mm. and not just bullshit that people try to throw at you you know like right especially in the addiction world i feel like it's a lot of one-upping each one -upping other each you know other. what i mean yeah. so it wasn't all about that it was just being yourself with somebody yeah, and it getting was just, to know each other for real yeah it was different you mm. know not just getting to know well how much do you have in your pocket where are we going to go do this at you know right it was real conversation yeah I love that. Real conversation. That's so cool. So I feel like one of the biggest barriers um, for those who are really early in their recovery journey is that talking about the past piece. In particular, if they're choosing to date someone who's not in recovery. Yeah. Which, you know, some people some people can handle. Some people choose not to. But what advice would you give someone who is romantically interested in another, um, but they don't really know how to talk about their own recovery past or their own addiction past and being in recovery now like that. If that piece is giving them a lot of anxiety, what advice would you give them? Be honest about it. Yeah. You know, um, if you have learned to accept your past, then you will find somebody that's willing to accept your past as well. Mm. Um, and you know, being a recovering addict, I hold my past I hold my past against me more than somebody else does. Sure. So 
being scared to talk to them about it, I completely understand that. Um, it's a normal fear. Yeah. Yes. There's a lot of things in my past, like I was terrified to um, tell my fiance about and was shocked when I did. And he was like, it's your past. Hmm. I'm going to accept you for it regardless. Like that's not who you are anymore. Right. And that's what we have to understand is it's not who we are anymore. Mm-hmm. And as you're telling this person this, um, and they have gotten to know who you are, they will see the differences and that, okay, you might've lived this life, but I see that you don't live it anymore and they're going to accept you for it. Um, I feel like that's so huge. That's such a huge measure of who the person you're romantically interested in is as a person yeah. too, right? Like I would argue if, if that person, after you disclose your past to them, like shuts down and like doesn't want anything to do with you, like that says way more about yeah. that person than it does about you. Yeah. And you know, and you kind of want to get that out of the way in the beginning. You know right. what I mean? Go ahead and tell them your past. If they're not willing to accept it, then you know that this isn't for you. It's time to move on and find somebody that is willing to accept you mm-hmm. for everything that you bring to the table, whether it's. You know, because even as a recovering addict, we're pretty smart and yeah. we've been through a lot of things. For so sure. there's more that we can bring to the table than just a normal person could, you know? So right. a lot of people need to hear that and accept that and understand that and take that and just be joyous in it. You know what I mean? Like I am different mm-hmm. and it's not a bad thing Yeah, at all. So being honest with somebody about your past, if this person is really for you, they're going to completely accept that and, you know, take it for what it is and help you better yourself, help you move on. And also telling them about your past is going to help them make sure that you don't go back to that. You Mm, know what I mean? It's going to help them see the red flags in you. Hey, I think that we're going a different way. We need to pull this back, reel it in and partner with you. Yeah. See what we need to do differently. So I don't see you go, but down that path, that's, you know, me telling Matt certain things about me. Um, he sees certain things in me and he's like, well, where's this coming from? Sure. You know, why are you feeling this way? And it helps you guys have a better communication aspect in your relationship. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because it helps them understand, oh, she's feeling this way today for this reason. So let's, you know, not do this or let's talk about that. It's just be completely honest with them because yeah. somebody will accept you for your past regardless of what it is. And you're going to think that it's a lot worse than what it really is. I love that. That's so powerful, Stephanie. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your story with us. I, I can only imagine what a tremendous relief it's going to be for some of our listeners just to hear this and know that they're not alone, right? Like the things and the feelings they're experiencing are normal. You know, their, their past is not going to be their identity anymore. And there is hope in recovery. You know, your past does not define who you are, right? It's helped make you who you are, but it does not define who you are. Amen. And amen. What a note to end on. Stephanie, thank you. It's been an honor and a pleasure. That has been episode three of the Uniquely Better Life podcast hosted by the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana. Again, my name is Chase Cotton. I'm the community director here, and it's been an honor uh, sharing uh, our, our conversation with Stephanie with you. We'll be back next month with episode four, which is going to be on the topic of self-care and mindfulness. We'll talk to you then.